Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by our friends at YCharts. YCharts just released a new re report called the best performing ETFs of 2023 for equity and fixed income. I was perusing it today. Overall equity, the best returning fund was up almost 100%. Wait. Surprising me. Let me guess. Okay. An ETF? This is overall equity ETF. So it's a wide think niche strategy. I got it. Uh, it was a crypto one. Actually, so Bitwise Web3 ETF was up almost 100%. That's pretty good. I'll give you credit for that one. So all these different funds, categories, it's pretty good. We have a link in the show notes. Good research. So you know that we are an anti-survey podcast. We're Actually, we got some good surveys today, but not always. Not always. So I was out in Las Vegas two weeks ago at the T3 conference. And Y charts uh, got ratings, huge ratings, big, big, delicious ratings across the board from the service that they did out there. I mean, obviously. Best ratings you've ever seen in your life? Creme de la creme. Okay. They got good, all right, good reviews. All right, so download Great a copy reviews. of the ETF research report uh, and 20% off if you tell them Animal Spirit sent to you for your initial subscription go.ycharts.com and then check our show notes for the link. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Michael, I spent much of 2023 poo-pooing the Magnificent Seven, being the only winners in the stock market. And that has bled into 2024. So I'm looking, it's, it's not that big of a difference. This is through Monday. The NASDAQ 100 is up 5%. The S&P is up 4 And the equal weighted S&P is down 65 basis points. Russell the 2000 is down on. almost 5%. So it's kind of more of the same. NVIDIA is up 40% this year. Meta is up almost 30%. Amazon's up 12 Tesla's getting smoked down almost 30%. It's actually the worst performer I saw in the S&P 500 so far this year. But at what point does this become an actual worry? Because we had like, I don't know, six weeks where some other stuff, small caps did really well and stuff came back. But it it seems like these, like wh how long does this have to last for you to be like, okay, this is actual something I'm worried about? Leadership is thinning out. There's no doubt about it. What would worry me, what would truly worry me is if we start to see a bear market under the surface where not it's not just the equal weight not keeping up, it's the majority of stocks, forget making new highs, it's them rolling over. So if the majority of the index rolls over and it's only the MAG7, when I say only, it's only 28% of the index or whatever it is keeping it up, then I would get worried. But but you're right, this is, this is unusual. Um, all of the themes that we saw in 2023 are in place in 2024 and even to a greater extent. It is really funny, you assume we, we turn the calendar and it should change because that does happen yeah. some years, but this year it didn't happen. Jason Getford at Sentiment Trader tweeted, man, this is weird. The S&P 500 is within 0.35% of a three-year high. 
Fewer than 40% of stocks are above their 10-day average. Fewer than 60% of, are above their 50-day. And fewer than 70% are above their 200-day. Since 1928, that's only happened once before. And I won't tell you the date. I'm not going to say it was 1929. I'm definitely not going to do that because those are hit words, not mine. Uh, Jason also says, the S&P 500 closed within, again, 0.35% of its all-time high, yet fewer than 20% of the New York Stock Exchange issues rallied today. By the way, I want to talk to you about our stock exchange experience. That's never happened since 1962. There were only two days when fewer than 30% of issues rallied. And a, lot, a large part of this was thanks to Meta, which again, Sentiment Trader tweeted, well, that was weird. Thanks, Meta. This seems like it's going down as one of the very few times since the S&P 500 became a 500 stock index that it jumped more than 1% on a day. That was the Meta day when more of its stocks declined than advanced and forward returns weren't great. Now, small sample size, this happened a lot in 2000 and 2001 before the market completely rolled over. So would I prefer more stocks participating than less? Yes, I would. Am I overly concerned? Not yet. If it's a week or two from here and the majority of the stocks have rolled over hard and these haven't, I'll change my mind. But that's where I'm at. Um, what did you think about the stock exchange? You'd never been there. I had never been to the York Stock Exchange. A lot of history. I, I, it was bigger than I anticipated. The floor itself is essentially a TV studio, which I suppose makes sense because all the trading is done electronically and you don't have people shouting at each other for the orders. But I was I was very impressed. You took way more pictures than I did. We discussed I'm not a picture guy. You took Hang a picture on. of like every took a picture of like every piece of paper on the wall. I am a huge picture guy. You're right. Guilty as charged. I feel like I did not take as many pictures as you're representing it to be. Uh, but there was a ton of history there. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's it. Twelve a dozen photos. pictures. That's a lot for me. Okay. Like one or two pictures is a lot for me. Sorry, I'm a sucker for the Butterwood Agreement. I can't see the actual Butterwood Agreement. Walk by it and not take a picture. I can't see uh, Thomas Edison writing a letter to the stock exchange and just say, "Cool, I'll sock that away for a later. I'll sock that away for a later date. Right here, I'm never going to remember it. There, you don't. Your cloud is is busted. Don't tell me about your cloud." How many of your old pictures do you ever actually go look at, though? Let's be honest. Well. I mean, I look at old pictures of my kids, but if I take a picture of something. Okay, here's what I do. Here's what I do. I swipe to the left on my iPhone, and I see old memories. And about every day, I say, oh, look, that was fun. It's me and Logan. And then I swipe, yeah, so, so you're damn right. I do look at old pictures. You don't get to have this experience like I do. Look at that. No, look at I that. do look with at the kids, but I don't, I don't look through my pictures and go, oh, look, there's a picture of a piece of paper. Excuse me, sir. The Buttonwood Agreement is not just a piece of paper. Maybe you don't know your history. Listen, it was, I, I agree. It was interesting. A lot of the different rooms that we went to, the meeting rooms and the Alexander Hamilton rooms, and it was, it, it was a very cool experience. It'll be stored in Ben's cloud for a long time. Okay. Yeah, sure it will. Don't worry. In 20 years, I'll show you the picture. Duncan just uh, dropped this in Slack. Latest plane armrest survey results in case you guys want to discuss today. So Duncan asked the audience, 3,000 votes. Who gets the armrests on an airplane? The choices are you share them 50-50. Middle seat gets them. It's a free-for-all. Man, it's a bunch of savages. Uh, and then I don't know if I fly business class. Hmm, not to brag. All right, so oh, the yeah. winner was the middle seats gets them. And it was sort of all over the place. That was 36% of the vote. Though. Next, at 31% of the vote was it's a free-for-all. And you share them 50-50, that's 25%. You know what? That's probably what I would have voted for. 
You sure? You'd be, you know. I think so too. I don't worry about the middle seats as much as just stay out of my leg room. Wide V guys. That's that. That's that is absurd. That is way over the line. Wait. So Ben, are, getting back to the matter at hand, are you worried about the the lack of uh, participation? I mean, you're not you're not you're not a stock market guy. Well, I am a stock market. It, it's here's my overarching concern. It, should we be worried about the fact that the U.S. just dominates everything else? Because it, to me, it seems like it shouldn't be like this, where the U.S. is just dominating the rest of the world. And the the surprising thing for me is. Remember the whole Thomas Friedman, the world is becoming flat and globalization. And it's it's kind of bizarre to me that the U.S. is so overwhelmingly winning in the markets and in the economy versus the rest of the world. It, it doesn't seem like it should be like this. And that, actually, that's, the concerning, that's actually kind of concerning to me. There's a lot of markets around the world that are that have broken out to, new, to all-time highs, or at least with the week highs. But don't you think yeah, that the US, is ex, the U.S. is extending its lead over sure. everyone else? So here's yeah. some other parts of this. So... I'm going to skip a few things here. So Axios had this thing, GDP growth among G7 nations. The U.S. had the highest growth in 2023. It's estimated to have the highest growth in 2024. I sent you this, this report from Goldman Sachs, their 2024 outlook, and had all these really good charts, and it showed nominal GDP. China's in the same ballpark. Everyone else were, were way larger than. The U.S. has, you know, $27 trillion economy. But look at this one, this next one. Top 10 countries ranked by size of bond and equity markets together. The U.S. is first and Japan is second, but we're seven times larger than them. Uh, they did this Venn, this Chris Venn diagram, which is <laughs> uh, top 10 countries by GDP, GDP per capita, and market weight. And they show some Italy and Brazil are kind of around in GDP, and Australia and Switzerland are kind of around in this, but the U.S. is really the only one that has, has it going in all three of these things. And look at the, the demographics going forward. The U.S. has by far the most favorable demographics on a relative basis. China's demographics are crashing. Japan's have already been terrible for a while. I mean, people are people are saying, like, the U.S. empire is over and late-stage capitalism, all this stuff. The U.S. is dominating the rest of the world economically. And it for the 2010s, it was, we're the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry hamper. Nice wink. Uh, I just winked. Did you just wink at someone? I might have. It's involuntary. Bill Sweet just walked by and he might. Bill, did you wink at me first? <laughs> he definitely winked. Okay. Do are we like, I don't know. It's it seems like the U.S. is it was the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry hamper in the 2010s. Now it's just it's just the cleanest shirt, and it just got pressed back from the cleaners, and it's doing well. But why are these other countries, at least economically speaking, doing so much relatively worse than us? I I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think we should be winning at the expense of these other countries losing. I th- I would be happier if these countries are doing better and everyone is doing better. Hang on, Sean just shushed me. He came in and closed my door. That's fair. If he's listening, my door is my door is open because it's a sauna in here. New York has some heating issues. That's for sure. The, ho- the hotels the are always either ninety five or sixty five, with no in between. No, I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I have to open my door. We have to leave this open. It's a sauna in here. Oh, sorry, I just want to interrupt. Thank you. So uh, that's the part of wait, so wait. The- why why is this bad? Why is this bad that we're that we're leading? It's this is not zero sum. It's positive sum. We're growing the pie. I know, but the U.S. is, but I'm saying it doesn't have to be zero-sum. Are, are you concerned about all Who that? Who says it is? Who says it is? 15 years, these other countries have fallen behind a lot. You think that you think they're falling behind because we're winning? No, no, no I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's happening happened, at all. I'm just saying it, it would be nice if these other countries came along and played catch-up a little bit. Yeah, it would be great if, if Germany would uh, create their own NVIDIA, wouldn't it? Okay, so over the last three months, NVIDIA added Tesla's entire market cap to its valuation— which is over $550 billion. 
This stock is just unbelievable. Listen, what can I say? We do capitalism really, really well. I'm not going to apologize for that. Neither should you. All right. I, I just, I'm wondering, is it, is it something to, to be concerned about? Like, shouldn't the whole, obviously there's always winners and losers, but we're, the, we've been the clear winner for going on 15 years now, maybe longer than that, approaching two decades. All right. well, speaking of international stuff, let me give you let me give you a potential bull case that's on nobody's radar. That is that sounds absolutely ridiculous, even coming out of my mouth. Okay, what's been in the headlines lately every day with the mass exodus of investors running out of the country saying it's uninvestable? China. Guess what? When I see a burning fire, I run in. I, I actually I bought uh, I bought FXI. Full disclosure. But what if you're buying Chinese stocks? I bought FXI last week, okay. and I bought a little bit more the other day. What if? What if China actually, and I'm not going to say it's good. I don't know anything. I'm not going to pretend to be a macro tourist. But what if it's just not quite as dire as everybody suggests? What if instead of it being catastrophic and uninvestable, it's just really bad? Like that, I'm going to use a, a term that I hate. That delta alone could be enough to, to deliver an upside surprise in global markets and global economies. Thoughts? You know what, what, down, what, down, uh, what drawdown that fund is in right now? FXI? down 60%. That's a pretty good drawdown. That's fair. I'm just waiting. Can't the, the officials there snap their fingers and say, we're going to buy a bunch of stocks and turn around if they really no, wanted they, to? They, they, they tried. Did it okay. work? So, all right, getting back to the lack of breadth and leadership and why it's all big tech, Bob Elliott tweeted, always have to wrestle with the question of whether the relative cheapness of an index is appropriate given the fundamentals. Um, and he's showing a chart of... The, I guess the forward 12-month earning per share estimate of the NASDAQ versus the Russell 2000. And guess what? It's not some conspiracy. The market's not dumb and you're smart. The market is responding to fundamentals. Now, maybe price is driving fundamentals in a certain extent with this feedback loop. Um, and certainly there's a narrative portion of it that I'm not going to discount. But it's responding appropriately. The growth in these businesses is astounding, and the Russell 2000 is it's not. Yeah. So maybe that's the point. It's you don't it's not something to worry about, it's something to be like in awe of. Like this is it's it's it is kind of unbelievable. Yeah, absent listen, absent this context, if you're just looking at the chart, you're like alarm bells are ringing, this is unsustainable, this is going to end badly and maybe it will, but it's not based on nothing. You remember Scott Galloway wrote that book called The Four? It was about Great Amazon book. and Apple and Facebook and Google. That book came out a long time ago. I think it was like 20... Wait, say it one more time. So when he came out with the book, it was Amazon and Apple and Facebook and Google? Yeah, those are the no big Microsoft. Four. So that, yeah, that was My 2017. Wow, so no Microsoft. But remember that kind of book came out and you go, okay, it's got to be over top, for these big companies. Top, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, when did Silicon Valley come out? 2014. We saw, the, we saw Ehrlich Bachman at a comedy show. Speaking of, Ben and I saw Ehrlich Bachman live, TJ Miller in person. That's one of the more impressive things about New York is we went to a comedy show on a Monday night. Wasn't it a Monday night? It was a Monday freaking night. And it, I think the, the show was at 7 o'clock? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. And it was just packed. Wall-to-wall -wall packed on a Monday night. That's, that's the kind of thing you get in New York that you don't get anywhere else. Who else did we say that was not on the lineup? Jim Norton. How great was he? That was good. That was a good comedy show. We've, we've had some stinkers rips. over the years. That was a good one. We have. That was a good one. All right, so I, I will. Uh, my stance now is I'm not worried, but if, if it's kind of thing like, how long can this cycle really continue? It's 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 more shocking than 
then I guess worrisome, I suppose. Guess what? What if it's just getting started? You think we're closer to the end of the AI super cycle than the beginning? That's true. And, and where are the AI winners going to come from? It's not going to be from some other country, probably. Now, of course, the midwit question is, well, we've already discounted all of that. Maybe. I don't know. Could be. Would be shocked if we have a, a hiccup and NVIDIA takes a 30% poll. Who, who knows? But I don't know, man. And whenever I hear this is unsustainable, I get bullish. I just don't. If AI really makes us as productive as people think, and it's going to do all the things everyone keeps promising, there's no way that this is, that it's already a bubble. That These are the kind of things that the bubbles get way, way bigger once the actual stuff starts happening. Yeah, how many, how many shit codes are up 5,000%? Right. Yeah. This is, if we do get an AI boom, it's, and it's, it's going to turn into a bubble. Let's, let's be honest. This is, this is not it. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I have a question for you, Ben. We've spoken a lot over the last couple of weeks about where the Fed is and what they should do. Goldman Sachs put out a chart. Financial conditions eased further in January as most central banks remained on pause. Are financial conditions Can you define financial conditions for me? Because I always hear this term, but what does it encompass? It's credit spreads and PMIs and ISMs and all the, a lot of those leading indicators. I don't think the Fed should care about, I don't think the Fed should care about the stock market at all. You don't think the Fed should care about financial conditions? Is, if they should not be making monetary policy decisions based on where the stock market is. No, I don't think so. I think I fair? agree with that. I think yeah. I agree with that. But I also think that they have to be cognizant of the fact. Like, I've, I've, I've put this thought out into the ether. What if, what if by loosening, what if by cutting rates, like they, they open up the IPO window and housing prices go nuts again, and we get an overheating economy again, and then we're b- right back to where they started. Like, you don't think that that's even in the back of their head? We had low rates throughout the entire 2010s. The stock market boomed, and we had no inflation. Now, it's circumstantial. Okay, but, maybe, but, maybe this no, is more no, of a setup but, but that. Has nothing, but, but that has nothing to do with today, because today we did have inflation, quite, and a lot of it. But we don't have the supply chain stuff anymore. True. But I feel like there is... There is just no appetite on the part of anybody for an uptick in inflation. Like, we did it already. It sucked. I agree. And that's probably why the Fed is, what Powell said, we're not going to cut in March, which, whatever. If he cuts in May instead of March, does that really matter? I don't think I so. Think I, I think, and listen, we're just a couple of guys talking out loud. I don't, have, I don't have the answers here. But if you ask me today, I think I would let, I would prefer them run the risk of staying too tight for too long as financial conditions ease dramatically versus cutting preemptively and undoing a lot of the work that they've done. All right. I, I, got, more thought, I got more thoughts on the Fed, but I have to stick with the doc here. I don't want to okay. get too out of Sorry. whack. I'm all, I'm all over the place. I have, a, I have a take on, you saw the Vanity Fair article with Tim Cook. I did. Okay. Which, could he have looked a little happier on the cover and in the pictures? He looks miserable wearing that thing. Listen, he, let's be honest. Listen, listen. I'm sure they took four thousand pictures. He didn't get. He didn't choose which one they used. So here's from James. So this is from the article. I would say my experience was religious. Director James Cameron told me when I asked him about the first encounter with Apple Vision Pro. I was skeptical at first. I don't bow down before the great God of Apple, but I was really, really blown away. John Favreau also said he was blown away, and it is 
impressed by the technology and what it'll do for storytelling. The reviews coming in are, are amazing on this thing, it sounds like. I'm anti. Now, let me give you my take, and here's why. The technology sounds amazing, and it's going to make movie watching awesome, it sounds like. It's going to make watching sports even better. It's going to make video games better. If you're sitting on a plane with this thing on, it's going to make it like you're sitting in a movie theater. I get all that. But here's the stuff that I've been hearing for years. We have a loneliness epidemic in this country. Young people aren't going out as much anymore. They're having less sex. They're not drinking as much. This seems like one of the most isolating pieces of technology ever invented, and I think that it's going to make that stuff way worse if this thing takes off in as big as everyone thinks it could be. So I, I, I am bullish on this for Apple, the company. I am bearish on this technology for society. Is that a fair, fair take? Sounds boomer, right? I feel like an old man yelling at the crowd. Listen, I am not some you're, 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 yeah, no, you're a Midwestern boomer. Let's just call it what it is. I, technology has been very good to me in my career. And, and, and I think there's always pros and cons, but if I'm leaning on a net basis, I think this is a net negative for society at large, this kind of technology that everyone is living in this world of goggles. I think so it's a I bad reject, thing I, for society. I, I, I reject that premise. I don't think that, I don't think that's what the world is going to turn into. You th I think that that m most of the wearing of this device will be indoors. Yeah, yeah of so. course you see people on the streets in New York, but it's not going to be. We're not. I don't think we're going to live in a world where everybody's wearing gog goggles. Number one, I also think that the goggles at some point, hopefully, are going to be contact lenses. I don't know when that's. Yeah, gonna they're going to be. But they're going to. They're going to surgically implant them in your corneas or something. They're going to they're gonna shrink. Yes, they, I hear you. Listen, on the no one could look cool wearing. Brad Pitt wouldn't look cool wearing these things. There is a huge cringe factor. So you're right. A lot of it is going to be behind closed doors. Yeah, for sure. But I don't know. I, I I get. I hear where you're coming from. I lean more excited. I'm excited by the technology. Here's my Just seeing thinking. some of the stuff. It's magical. You're, guess what? You're also going to be able to watch a movie with a friend, which is which I think that could be neat. You're going to be able to sit courtside with a friend. I think you're going to be able to do a lot of social activities with these things on. All right. I just. I think I, there's no stopping the freight train of technological progress. I think where this stuff is heading and if it's going to just keep getting better and better, I think it's going to make people more and more isolated. That's my worry. When you say people, do you mean like at the fringe or you think we're all going to be, you're, you we're all going to be uh, lonely people? I, I just, I don't see that. It just, it just seems like that. I think that I'm more worried for young people, at, I guess, than than anything that, that are going to grow up with this technology and they're going to be way more isolated than previous generations. And there's nothing we can uh, do I'm about excited. it. I'm excited. I'm excited for young people. All right. Here's the, you're you're a movie theater guy. Movies are meant to be watched with other people. Sports are meant to be watched with other people. I'm saying I think that you're going to be able to sit courtside next to a friend, or you're going to be able to watch a movie with your friend yeah. with these goggles on. I guess. I I, I don't see. I I don't. I think people are going to be very. This is going to be a very solo experience for a lot of people. How about this? If I'm a perma bear, have, can, I say, can I say the perma bear phrase? I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I will reserve judgment. I mean, these things, this is version 1.0. They're only going to get better and smaller and more amazing. So I hear what you're saying. Maybe but I am the, the middle-aged guy, middle-aged guy take, yelling at the cloud or whatever, but I... I don't even, I don't even necessarily disagree with, with, with your take. I just, I'm choosing to focus on the positives. Because I think it's pretty incredible. Okay, it, it, it's magic. That's fair, and uh, it, it, it is definitely it's it's not for me. Like I won't be getting this. My kids, I'm sure, will want it someday. This will not be a. So maybe I'm putting my personal beliefs on this. But why thing. would you do that to yourself? Why would you pigeonhole yourself? You're you're never going to wear one of these because you said so in 2024. 
don't do that Listen, to yourself. I, again, I'm sure it's going to get better, but I. You probably said that about AirPods. No, I was on an AirPods pretty quick. I was a I was an early adopter of AirPods, and I loved them right away. And I'm an Apple person. I just I don't want this. Uh, the, it's too much, too much for me. I prefer yeah, to don't, just. Don't. All right. So there was a CNBC story this week. Paul Tudor. This I'm just going the headline. I read I read the story and I watched the CNBC interview actually. But Paul Tudor Jones says the U.S. economy is on an unsustainable path, threatening markets. Uh, this is this week. So I looked. I'm like, I wonder what his takes have been in the past. Because I don't remember him. You know, he's always been kind of a bearish guy. But this is from October 10th, 2022. Paul Tudor Jones believes we are in or near a recession, and history shows stocks have more to fall. That was within two days of the low. My point here, again, is not to dunk on someone who's a legendary investor, but just to show, like, what makes you think that you can predict the macro and what it means for the markets if these legends can't do it? Because they've, they've all shown that they're terrible at this. How many legendary investors have been dead wrong about the economy for years and years and years? Asterisk. Their comments in public always age poorly. It's entirely conceivable that two days after this interview, Paul Tudor Jones at the bottom said, you know what? Flipping it. Now I'm bullish. And he's not going back on TV and letting you know, hey, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Maybe that's the point is that you can have all the thoughts you want about what's going to happen to the macro. Don't act on them when it comes to your portfolio. Everything that Paul Druckenmiller has said out loud to an audience over the last shit, almost almost 15 years, what did I say? Paul Druckenmiller, close enough. All right, well, you said Paul Tudor Jones. I'm looking at Paul on the screen. Listen, I'm getting old. Everything that Stan Druckenmiller has said on the screen for the last 15 years going on would indicate that he's a horrible investor and has lost a ton of money. Guess what? Right. I would bet that he's done just fine. Yes. And not just because he's starting with with billions of dollars, but I'm sure that his track, that his actual portfolio has done much better than his comments would suggest. Would you agree with that? Don't listen to people who pontificate about macro, then don't listen to yourself. My whole point is macro is hard. Even the Fed, so this is from Bespoke, the gray lines are where the Fed futures uh, market expects the fund rates to be. And this is the actual Fed fund. Have you seen this one? Where it shows like, here's what people expect. Here's what actually happened. And the expectations are always completely off what actually happens. And then they try to play catch up. And No one, even the Fed can't predict what their own actions are going to be. What makes you think you can? That, that's my whole point. It's just macro is hard. Macro is very hard. All right, where are we going next? Oh, survey of the week. Not really a survey, but yeah, I'll call it a survey. Gunjan from the Wall Street Journal, Gunjan Banerjee, who was on TCAF, uh, she's tweeted, one measure of sentiment among individual investors, the Yale School of Management one-year confidence index is at the highest level since 2007. Holy smokes. I think that's the Robert Schiller one where he asks, do you think stocks will be higher or lower one year from now? I'm pretty sure that's it. Uh, hell of a chart. Really just <laughs> unbelievable. If you had to summarize the state, the psychological state of the American investor today, how would you describe their mood? Chaotic. Do you think it jives with this chart? I don't know. I think everyone's, I think sentiment is so all over the place and opinions and everything. Do you do you think it really feels like we're at all-time highs in the stock market? Because I don't, I don't feel like it... <laughs> It doesn't, there's no feeling of euphoria. I can't define that, but it doesn't feel like it, does it? No. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, back to the Fed stuff. What if it's good news if the Fed doesn't have to cut rates for a while? Because the economy is so strong. We had a blowout jobs report again on Friday. 
the Atlanta Fed says now we're looking at 4.2% first quarter GDP growth. They could be wrong, but it's going up. Like, doesn't, wasn't it be a good thing if, if it's not because they're worried about inflation, but because the, the economy is staying stronger, that the Fed puts off rate cuts for a little bit? I think that's, that's a good thing, correct? And what if, I don't know, this whole thing, the economic growth continues to be strong, the labor market continues to be strong. I think we had 3 million jobs last year, and that's not like jobs that were lost during the pandemic. This is, we've, already, we've already long ago made up all those jobs. I think besides savings accounts and borrowing rates in the housing market, what if monetary policy just has no impact on the economy? Well, that's ridiculous. Very, very little. How, how could you say monetary policy has a huge impact in the economy if economic growth continues to be strong and the labor market continues to be strong after they went from I didn't 0 to 5%? That. I didn't say that. I said that your assertion that it has no impact is ridiculous. Well, yes, I'm being extreme, but it has way a much smaller impact than anyone thought possible. In this particular day and age, given where we are today, how about this? Absent the pandemic, if there was a bit of inflation and the Fed jacked rates up to five and a quarter, it would have, it would have had an impact on the economy. Maybe. This is interesting. Uh, Matthew, well, let Matthew me ask Klein. you this. Let me ask you this. Well, let me ask you this. Remember when you were- uh, all, when you I'm were saying this is, I'm, I'm surprised by this too. This, th- I never would have believed this would have happened. Remember when you were a Fed apologist? Let me ask you this. <laughs> if you're Jerome Powell, what do you do in March? There's a bomb on a bus. I, if the economy remains strong, I don't mind him waiting. What's it going to matter? No, if no, no. He, I'm asking you, Jerome Powell. What do you do in March? If the economy is so strong, I, I don't cut, and then I cut in a couple. I mean, does it really matter the 25 basis points? That's what I say. <laughs> Answer I, the I'd question. Probably, I'd probably rip the bandaid off and do it just to say, just to show people, hey, we're going to cut rates. You can stop being so worried, but does it really matter if he does it in March or May or June? Probably not, as far as I'm concerned. All right, uh, Matthew Klein at the Overshoot. Wages are growing faster than we thought. So he says, zooming out, our core wage growth is now running slightly faster than it was in the late 90s and in 2005 to 2007. Put another way, wages are rising two to three percentage points faster than pre-pandemic period. And he's saying we're at, you know, 5% wage growth and it doesn't have to be inflationary because he's saying if workers save more, they would partly break the link between wages and spending, which would relieve some of the pressure on businesses to ration finite quantities via higher prices. This is like the Goldilocks potential situation where wages are going five, inflation is three, but if people don't spend more and they're saving some, that's actually a, we could thread the needle. I don't know if that could happen. Too many Fs. Too many Fs, I'm sorry. Call me crazy. This is, so economists said- You're crazy. The economist says you're you're crazy. Your pay is still going up too fast. Why the last part of inflation may be the hardest. I don't know. Call me crazy, but I think higher wages are a good thing. But look look at this nominal wage growth since 1999 for G10 countries. Highest by far that it's been. And th- th- this is looking at the globe, not just the U.S., but they're saying, listen, to get inflation under control, wage growth has to break down. Meaning maybe rates have to stay higher for longer. But call me crazy. I think people making more money is a good thing. <laughs> All right. You said call me crazy three times. So you're crazy. I am crazy. <laughs> uh, Mike Zaccardi. If, if we do have this slowdown that people have been predicting forever, households are still in good shape. Household debt outstanding as a percentage of GDP, down over the past decade, and still looks like it's falling. This is when we use the denominator. I looked at New York Fed had their report out today. Look at here's, wait, cl- he, Hang on. Here's, here's my take on this chart. So you're showing that household debt as a percentage of GDP is 
way, 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 way lower than it was during the GFC. We've had yep. as build bill, as Ray Dalia called it, the beautiful deleveraging. Uh, and this chart would indicate there's nothing to worry about. Now, More or less steady to, since the 2010s. To me, this chart doesn't mean that something bad can't happen. It's just that if you're looking for like a boogeyman, everybody's over levered. They're just not. Would you? Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't save us from anything, but households are in pretty yeah. good shape. Look at the, from the New York Fed, the new foreclosures by age. The housing market boom in 3% mortgages essentially took foreclosures off the map. They're so small compared to history. They barely even well, show compared up. To, Same com thing with bankruptcies. Hold on. Compared to the GFC, I feel like this is like a pandemic-looking chart. This goes back to 2003. If you were to start this in 2018, right? Well, There's no context here because- Well, look, the context is look at 2003 to 2007 before the, the great financial crisis. True. It was true, true. four times higher than it is today. Same thing. Look Good at point. bankruptcies. If you're a bankruptcy lawyer, you've got nothing to do today. It's the lowest it's been this century. It's just, it's yeah. way, way lower than history. Yeah. All right, we heard from an economics professor. He wants to answer a question about 2% inflation. He says, we know high inflation is bad. However, deflation is bad too. It causes the real value of debt to rise. Unemployment usually rises because employees cut wages or resist wage cuts, firm revenues fall, et cetera. What history has shown works best is low, stable, predictable inflation. There's no theoretical reason why 2% is a magical number. The 2% number is more of a consensus. It's very low, but not so close that the Fed doesn't have to prevent deflation if inflation starts to fall. You know, somebody else emailed us from Australia. I think I think the 2% number came from Australia or New Zealand. I can't remember. New Zealand, yes. It was more or less a made-up number, but New Zealand, yeah, some economists so. there. All right, here's an interesting email. I love Tim Ferriss' podcast and have been a longtime listener. I found it interesting that for a guy with such a broad range of interests and also given his venture capital background, he didn't know what the FOMC is. So this is the conversation. You know what? I'll play Matt Mullenweg. Ben, you play Tim Ferriss. Deal? Okay. Yeah, it was an interesting format. So have you heard of the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee? No. So that is the committee of bank presidents and Federal Reserve leaders that come together to determine what's called the Fed funds rate, which basically trickles down to be the interest rates. Man, I bet a lot of people would like to be in that room, wouldn't they? Yeah. It's a pretty cool meeting. It must be. And they're basically... That's like the Illuminati. Okay. So I don't think you need to dunk on Tim Ferriss here. I'm not dunking on no, no 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 no. That's not the intention. The intention is this guy makes a good point. We take for granted yes. that people know this stuff and they don't. That's my point. I'm not. This is not a dig at Tim Ferriss at all. Yeah. No, I, I I think the but I also think I think that you can be a very smart person and not know. There's people we talk to that are experts in certain fields that are, know so much more than we do, and we we cover a lot of areas. But I think that. That's not that surprising if you're an expert, even in a handful of areas like Tim Ferriss is, that you just don't pay attention to something like this. Right. This this is the could how many people on the street could pick out Jerome Powell? One out of twenty, maybe? Yeah. How why would why would Tim Ferriss be watching CNBC at two o'clock on a Tuesday? Or whatever day they whatever day of the week they uh they make interest rate decisions. Why would he? Do you think Tim Ferriss helped Mark Wahlberg plan his morning routine? Absolutely. That's what, that's what I'd like to know. Okay. You know, speaking of morning routine, I said this to Josh. I don't know if we've spoken about this. I, uh, when we were at this, when we went to the stock exchange, I couldn't sleep that night. I stayed in the city because we had to be in the exchange early and I was up to like one thirty. I was annoyed. And so I woke up the next morning and I tried I to take a I think it's hard to sleep shower. in hotels. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I tried to take a cold shower and I hated it. I, I think this is the dumbest thing ever. I tried to wake up, but no I way. did try. I did try like a, to take a cold bath. I'm not going to call it a cold plunge. It was a cold bath. You ever do one of those? I'm out. I, I'm, I've heard that they're good for your muscles and joints and it shocks the system. <laughs> no way. I, so, I love so, a hot shower. You could not pay me to do a cold plunge. Sorry. So I, did, I, took, a cold, I took a cold bath with the Vision Pros on. How about that? You beat me to it. <laughs> no, but, but, also, but hold on. But just my quick review. Uh, your, your, your body goes numb. You lo- I lost feeling in my fingers and my hands, my toes. Not fun. I think people just want to feel something. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's the reports that show and research that shows how good it is for you. I love a hot shower. There, there's no way you could talk me into a cold. All right. So care. first time and last time me talking about the cold plunge, I promise. Okay. You're going to get one of them, aren't you? All right, new no, no, labor no. market take. If companies can't raise prices to improve margins, they're gonna have to fire people. You probably heard people say this recently. And there's all these headlines, and it seems like they've been increasing in January, right? That, so I, I did U.S. non-farm layoffs and discharges from YTRS. What I did is I, I took April and March of 2020 off of there because there was such a m- massive number. Wait, what's a discharge? A, I, I guess that's what they say to people for a nice terminology for getting fired. I don't know. But it says layoffs and discharges. Like, what's is there a difference between being laid off or discharged? That's a good question. It's economic speak. I don't know. The average since two thousand. So I took away March and April again because that that makes the graph just look it's unusable. Of twenty twenty, one point eight million per month. There's a one point eight people million laid off or discharged per month since the start of the century. In December, it was one point six million. And maybe it'd be a little higher in January, but it's. It, so we're basically below average still, right there. It, it's it's nothing out of the ordinary, and it's funny. There, doesn't we, that seem we, like a we, lot we, of people? We I think well, it does seem like a lot of people. But I was say we over-index for the brand names that are laying people off, like Snap yes. just did another round. It's just it's it's name brands, and so we think that that is more representative of the overall economy than it really is. I'm just saying there, there's way more room to run if things before things get bad and. The U.S. economy is very dynamic, and this kind of thing just happens. And I think we just hear about layoffs more now than we did in the past. All right, Ben, you poo-pooed uh, the crypto ETF. You thought it was underwhelming in terms of the flows. Apparently, I I've see been doing it in a your lot eyes. You, lately. You, yeah, yeah. Ben poo-poo Carlson. <laughs> my daughter brought okay. home. My <laughs> daughter brought home an art piece of art the other day from school. Art with quotes around it, and. Uh, it was like a picture of a guy, and she said, this is Bob. So it was a guy she made, and I look on the back, and I said, what, I, what does it say in the back? And I look, all it says is, I like Did poop. Wait, let me guess. Did she say, the world's worst market timer? Yeah. Oh, that's true. But yeah, all it said was, I like poop on the back. That's it. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> nice work. So Nakarasi, I shares Bitcoin Trust and Fidelity Wise Origin Bitcoin Fund. Now, number one and number two in AUM out of all ETFs launched since the beginning of 2023, that's over 600 ETFs, and it took them less than three weeks to do it. That's impressive in the world of ETFs. What other ETFs have been released since 2023 that we're going to bring in a ton of money? <laughs> so I, I pulled the numbers up because I, I knew you were going to do this to me. So <laughs> Do what to you? I'm not doing anything. Well, the, So the iShares has $2.8 billion, Fidelity has $2.5 billion, and uh, Bitto has $1.8 billion. It's a lot of money, but I still think it's underwhelming relative to the hype these ETFs got. 
it's it's it is a lot of money relative to a bunch of stock market ETFs and alternative strategies right, what, and liquid alts. What, but so what's so what so what's the number where you where you would be impressed? Is is ten so billion? Grayscale had has twenty billion still. It had thirty going into it, and again, a lot of that was arbitrage money that got out. If this thing would have brought in twenty billion dollars and matched Grayscale right away, I I would okay, wow. But I don't know, seven billion dollars relative to the hype still seems low to me. My ex, maybe my expectations were too high. I also think the hype is sort of a bit of a long game in this because the majority of flows are going to come from advisors and they're probably not putting money in on day one. True. They might want to because it ran wait so around a little bit and see. Yeah. And yeah, that's fair. I, I just I, I would have thought of it more. Okay. I hope realtors baked in bank some of their income in 2020 and 2021. This is from NAR. Uh, so this goes back to the 1980s. As the housing market corrected, there were fewer than three homes sold per NAR member in 2023, the lowest per capita since at least 1981. So this is houses sold per realtor and just crashed. Is this because there's because so many realtors came to the market in, during the pandemic? I mean, it's been trending down for a while, but... It's that and there was just so few houses sold. That, that, that's just, I mean, if, if, if you're in that business, that, that's a tough, tough business right now. Oof, brutal, yeah. Right? Every time we every time we talk about real estate commissions, somebody gets an e- somebody emails us or a bunch of people email us saying how difficult it is to sell a house and it's not like they're raking in the money and okay, but that's that's sort of erroneous to the fact that there are too many real estate agents. Yes. Because it's a it's a So if, it if you if you say gig. if you say um take a commissions from 5% down to 3% would wipe out the ability for 600,000 people to make a living. I'm sympathetic to that cause or that statement. However, I guess the point is there's 1.5 million members in the NAR. And maybe there's just way too many of them. Maybe there doesn't need to be 1.5 million of them. True. I, I think it's a good fallback plan for a lot of people to say, hey, I can do this on the nights and weekends if I want to as a part-time gig. And the people who are, I'd like to see the number of what the, what the full-time number of, of realtors actually is. Because a lot of those people obviously aren't selling a lot of houses. And so ba- back in the day, before Zillow, when you really needed an agent to show you like what properties were even available, yeah, 5%, they earned, they earned it. It made a lot of sense. It's a different world. But you know where so they're earning the, this, it today is they have a network of other realtors that they're talking to. And when you need to buy a house, they say, listen, I know someone else who's going to list. I will get into that house first and we can negotiate before it even goes on the market. That's, that's how you make your money yeah, these days, right? Absolutely. Uh, the group has more than 1.5 million members and $119 million in cash with total assets of $1 billion. It spent $52 million on federal lobbying last year behind only the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, you know, I got to be honest. I, uh, If you ask me, what does the U.S. Chamber of Commerce do? You know what my answer is? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Do they hand out pamphlets you know? like the Chamber of Commerce at every town in America, small town do, in America? Do you know what they do? No idea. Okay. Uh, so the reason there are so many members then is because they have to pay to be a member and well, in NAR, order to get the listings. Yeah. And so they like to have this money. If they have a billion dollars in assets, because they have a lot of fees coming in too from these people, they want to have more members. Anyway, so the gist of the article, which I guess we buried the lead here, was like that there were allegations that they were colluding to keep um, commissions high. I don't know. We'll see. Um I, and, and this is not an attack on people that are trying to make a living selling houses. I I'm, I know it's not easy. Uh, all right. This is something, Ben. I heard this. Uh, Meb Faber was talking to Jared Dillian, and they put this on my radar. 
There's a book coming out called The Holy Grail of Investing. The world's greatest investors reveal their ultimate strategies for financial freedom. This is a book by Tony Robbins, and I am not, I'm not a Tony Robbins hater. That's not my deal. Um, however, let me just read you the description. Now, holy grail, those are some big words, right? When you talk about holy grail of investing, I mean, you better, you better be bringing it. So, okay, from Amazon, in the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of the firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate. How to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds. And then there's a bunch of other things. So CityWire did an article and they said, with Holy Grail, Robbins notably has a new writing partner. The book is co-authored by Christopher Zook, the founder, chairman, and chief investment officer of Houston-based alternative asset manager, Kaz Investments. In 2021, a consortium of private investors, including Robbins, made a significant investment in Kaz, gaining a, quote, passive ownership interest in the company. Okay. Again, not a, uh, I'm not a, a hater of Tony Robbins, but if there ever was some sort of bell ringing to maybe, maybe, maybe just ding, ding, be ding, aware. Ding, 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 ding. Whatever happened, do you remember when he wrote a book probably five to seven years ago? About investing, and he, his whole thing was the secret to investing is the all-weather fund from Bridgewater. Do you remember that? Mm, I do. It was about, so the, I, I wonder what yeah, happened so with that, because I thought he had a fund for that, too. Whatever happened to that? So that that's a, a bit different, because it was, but just, wow. The holy grail of investing is private equity and private credit. Here's the credit. biggest red flag for me for this. How many of the world's greatest investors thrive in good times and bad? That's what that, regular- yeah, that's, that's just, that's a lie. It's an untruth. Yes. Regular people see that and they go, oh, that is the holy grail. That, and that's the thing that is, is a flat-out lie. I mean, let's just get this out of the way. There, there's no such thing in investing as a holy grail, okay? No. Um, anyway, definitely filing, filing this one away for, for later. That's fair. All right, so Peloton, did they report earnings? Yes. Isn't that why you're down so much? I, I, I pulled the report up. Yes, yeah, so I pulled the report up on quarter and- I tell you what, my baseline is always every diet or exercise, new, whatever, shiny new toy in the, in the is always a fad. And I'm still surprised at how bad Peloton has done. So their, their stock is 98% off the highs. They went from a $50, $50 billion market cap to $1.5 billion. Here's my take. And I think I heard you say this on the TCAF last week. Someone has to take this company over, I think is rarely a good investment thesis. It sounds like it's so obvious, but how often does that actually work out? And so I, I pulled up the thing. So while we here's this is from their CEO. While we continue to outperform the connected fitness market, our biggest challenges continue to be growth at scale. Um, one initiative that hasn't worked out is our premium co-branded bike experiment with the U University of Michigan. Notwithstanding the football team's success winning the national championship, we sold substantially fewer bikes to alumni and boosters than we expected. This is their plan. This is it for growth at scale. Uh, so they have three million subscribers. It sounds like that's probably the ceiling. It's not going any higher. I just don't know. I still use the bike. I like it. I don't know if yours has turned into a coat rack. I used it today for the first, I used, I'm sorry, I used it uh, two days ago for the first time in a year and a half. Okay. I still use it and like it, but I think they just- Don't call it a comeback, Ben. They, they pulled forward everything and they, like, this is the amount of people they have. That's all it's going to be. They're never going to be able to grow, I don't think. So uh, I'm Pelotoning. I'm taking cold plunges. You know what else I'm, I'm, I bought? You know what else I bought? 
I haven't told you this. I'm a bit embarrassed, but I'll say it anyway, just between us. I saw this on Instagram. You know the thing that you chew on to like make your jaw stronger to give you a better jawline? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no, like I did not know that was a thing. <laughs> That's like the people who do the hand, like the hand uh, one. The hand grip? Yeah. Yes. So I'm, yeah. my I'm, biggest worry about Peloton is how are they going to continue to pay all of their instructors? Like I feel like I'm going to turn my Peloton on and you're going to be instructing me one day. <laughs> right? I, like, I don't even how, use the instructors. I mean, I, I, I listen. I do it on mute. I watch TV. Okay. Really? So you don't do what they say, like turning the knob up and down and up out of your seat? Oh, no, no, down. no. I follow I follow because I see the cadence and the resistance. Okay. That, I just yeah, don't that's what I do. I don't, I don't listen to yeah. them either. I, yeah, I watch TV yeah. movies. Yeah. Uh, all right. There was an article in Bloomberg on doom spending. It's funny, Ben, because last week we had a the title of our show is Gen Z is on fire. And then last week there was an article with the headline, Gen Z is splurging on luxury goods to soothe their economic despair. So about 27% of Americans admit to, quote, doom spending to cope with concerns about the economy and foreign affairs. Give me a break. Young people are concerned about foreign affairs, so they're buying uh, expensive stuff. <laughs> uh, so this is people justifying their spending on expensive handbags and shoes and whatnot. Uh I don't. Is this really a story? Is this like really something that people are doing that's worthy of uh, of an article? I'm guessing you see that, that young in people the- young people have it so bad that they're just saying F- it, I'll buy uh, a vacation. Guess what? There's every no there's person, no hope. Every young person in history. Guess what? I had no that. hope. 2009, I made 415 dollars. Of course, young people feel like they have no hope and they feel like everything is out of reach. That's what it is to be a young person. Yes. Every young person in history is doom spend under that definition. Yeah. All right. Uh, Give me a break. So my, my baseline for the internet is every viral video is a hoax or set up in 99% of, and let's proven otherwise. I, I just assume everything's fake. Okay. Like why did this person have a camera right at this time? And most of the viral finance stuff is fake too. So there was this New York Post <laughs> article about a one West Coast couple each earning $100,000 a piece, and they said they're struggling in today's inflated economy, and they're ditching luxuries like pricey gym memberships and vacations to Europe and trips to local restaurants, and they show their their budget, and it's their mortgages and their bills and their membership, and then it shows socializing. They only spend $105 a month, and their new plan for 2024, they're going to spend $0 socializing, right? So these people are screwed. And if you add it all up, it's $55,000 in spending, but they're making 200k a year, which is $17,000 a month. And they're saying their total budget is $4,600. So even if you did 30% taxes from this, we're missing $7,000 a month. And my point is they're either missing something here or they're lying to get go viral or people just don't actually track their spending. Yeah, can I say all of the above? It's got to be. Like how many people do you think actually track what they spend each month? 5% Maybe. I do. I'm rocking money. It's a low I get an email. Tracking your spending like physically is is come on. That's that's unrealistic. But Duncan, my do you have something point to say? Is, any of these viral finance posts are are fake for the most part. Fair? Duncan. What does Duncan need? <laughs> Duncan's making jokes in the slack. <laughs> Michael, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, Batnick. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, okay. Here, how, how much people have in savings? This is from, oh, Ch- Daily Chart Book, which is a, I look at it every day. And they had this consumer snapshot, 30 charts on the U.S. consumer, which I thought was very helpful. But they have this one from Morgan Stanley. 
this month, 30% of consumers indicated they do not have any savings. 36% have three months or less in savings. 19% has four to 12 months in savings. And 16% has more than a year. I can't debunk any of this. It sounds right to me. One third of people don't really have any savings to hold them over. The reason why I believe this data is because if you look over time, it's consistent, right? It ebbs and it flows, but it's consistent. It actually sounds right to me. So 16% have more than a year. That It's a small, that, it actually makes that, that, this, this jives with me. I think it makes sense. That's impressive. That's impressive. All right. This is a great email. Every once in a while, we get an email from a listener who takes Wait, let me ask you this. How much, how much money in savings do you have? Mine would be, I have three months or so. I, have, I don't. I don't go very far out. I, don't think I have uh, four to. I have four to six probably. Okay, I have other sources I would tap, so I, I don't like to keep. Not to brag. No, I'm just saying twelve months in savings. I think is unrealistic for ninety percent of people. It's too much money. Yes, it, it would take way too long to get there. So it's hard. All right. Every once in a while, we have a listener who emails something from like the last 12 months of our shows and pulls it all together and, and you know, <laughs> pulls something from here. And this was a great one. Michael, I, th- I think it's time to spend a little of your savings. Between your uncomfortable couch, old Sony TV, broken fridge, and death Jeep, you have some spending to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then this person really gets you because at the end he says, what are your thoughts on Terrifier and the art of the clown? which have to be horror movies, I guess. It's, it's Art the Clown. It's, the, oh, it's Art, Art the Clown. clown. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not a big Terrifier guy. I mean, I get it. I saw the first one. It's just, uh, it's not my particular cup of tea. Okay. Okay. So, so what, what, great, what, what would you like to spend on out of all these? Well, you already bought the fridge, it sounds like. What a great email. So I'll give you some insight. This makes absolutely no sense. This is how I roll. I bought a new TV. Uh, so I took my TV... So I bought a 65-inch TV when, my, when I had that line in my TV. And I, all right, let me back up. I had an 82-inch or 80-something-inch TV downstairs that had a line on it. I replaced that with another same-size TV. I took the line TV and I put it upstairs in my bedroom because I thought I wouldn't be able to see the line because my bed is like 20 feet away from my wall, not to brag. But I do see the line. So I bought a new TV to take down that. And guess what? I have the new TV has been sitting in my closet for a year and a half. <laughs> so I still have the line on the wall on my upstairs, which makes absolutely no sense. That's pretty impressive. That long and you won't, why? Because you can't hang it yourself? I don't know. I just, I've been busy. I've had, I've, I've, I haven't gotten around. One person on the other end of the TV to lift it up 48 I, inches. I haven't, I haven't gotten around to it. So I took my Jeep in. And they fixed it in a day, which is which was a joy. And I got a, I have a bone to pick. I have a bone to pick with Audi. Put a pin in Audi. My my refrigerator. So I replaced my refrigerator. Tell me if this is consistent with how you and your wife shop. So Robin and I went to Best Buy, and I asked the guy. I'm like, what are we? I've never bought a fridge before. Somebody said, how have you never bought a fridge? Because every place that I either rented or bought had a fridge with. I never. It came with a fridge, yeah, and there. I've never bought a fridge. So I went to Best Buy. We're looking around. I'm like, I don't know, Samsung, LG. Uh, I don't really have big preference for refrigerators. And I asked the, the guy came over, said, you guys look like you need some help. I said, yeah, I, we do need some help. What do we- uh, Oh, you're a sucker look- right, away, right away. I've never bought one before. I don't know what brand to get. You're a sucker. We didn't do yeah, any research? Okay, no, I'm not a research guy. Listen to what you're this guy sucker. said. Okay. Listen to what this guy said. I said, what are the, what are the differences between some of these? Uh, and his answer, the brand. And I said, oh, very helpful. So- <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. I swear, 
the bread. He, this guy knew nothing. I could have done his job. <laughs> so we left. We went to PC Richards. Because everyone does research on the internet before they go buy one. You don't, they don't need to help you anymore. Not me. Yeah, so we went not. to PC, we went to PC Richards and I sat down on one of the recline, reclining chairs and I'm scrolling on my phone while Robin picks out a refrigerator for us. Okay. And let her and do it. She goes, Michael. I said, yeah, I like that one too. I'm like, who cares? It's a refrigerator. It is. It's a fridge. Anyway, They're all the same. Back to Audi. I am, I am so worriedly screwed and there's, I have, I have no get out of jail free card. I owe, so the car, thank God I got a warranty. I'm not a warranty buyer, but I got a warranty. And my, I had a broken you transmission. You bought your car at a CAPE ratio of 86. Yeah, it's exactly what happened. <laughs> and I was a forced buyer because the scenario was either my payment goes from like 850 a month to 1200 or I buy it and my payment goes down by 50 bucks. It was a no brainer. So now my payment, whatever. So I bought the extended warranty the transmission crapped out $11,000 on the warranty, thank God. Recently, something crapped out again. It's $7,000. And they have no loaners. What's the point of buying a luxury vehicle if there's no loaners? So now I have to pay Enterprise for, because for, Rob needs the car to go to work. So I have to pay the, the, the truck at Enterprise. Anyway, I owe, I owe uh, $34,000 on the car. It's worth $18,000. And in 20,000 miles, the warranty will be kaput there will be no more warranty. The coverage disappears at 100,000 miles. So I will be forced at 95,000 miles or so to take whatever loss exists. So I'm hoping it's like $10,000 or less. That's but the wrong I, Burgundy. I'm, a, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Like, I don't even know what to say it to this. Yeah, I, so I, I, I cannot drive that car past 100,000 miles because it's just too expensive to maintain. That's like Hall of Fame stuff for worst personal finance moves ever. I... Uh, but in hindsight, it wasn't a bad move. What was no, I supposed to yes. do? It just, it yeah. just it, the timing was bad. So I called, I called out and I said, all right, listen, here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to buy it. Because when Robin told me that the engine light was on, I said, that's it. I'm getting a new car. I'm getting a new car. I don't care much. I'm getting a new car. So they said, well, you are $16,000 on the road. I'm like, all right, fine. So what does that mean? <laughs> they, it, what it means is you have to pay $5,000 and then your monthly payment will go up by $400 a month. So I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? It's like, okay, so it's $5,000 down and a new Q7 will be $1,600 a month. I'm like, what? So I said to Robin, nope, driving into the ground. You're That's stuck. You might as well. Yes. $1,600 a month? Stuck. It's what it is. So anyway, thank you for the email. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're screwed. <laughs> no big deal. All right. All right. Let's talk about, uh, so last week, Netflix dropped some bombs they announced like their upcoming slate for the year. Let's run through it real quick. Michael Shannon and Matthew McFadden. Thumbs up or thumbs down on all these. And Matthew McFadden, is that cousin, is that, uh, is that Tom? Yeah. That's Tom Wamsgams? All right, we'll star in Death by Lightning, the stranger than fiction story of the reluctant president, James Garfield, and his admirer turned assassin, Charles Guteau. I am so in on that. I'm intrigued. Okay, thumbs up for me. Uh, Eric stars Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, set in the 1980s, New York. Eric is an emotional thriller from Abby Morgan following the desperate search of a father when his nine-year-old son disappears one morning on the way to school. Thumbs up. Kids disappearing is bad for me. I don't know. Give me back my son! It's, yeah, it's, it's too, but could be okay. All right. Uh, Andrew Scott and Ripley. This is based on the talented Mr. Ripley. Who's Andrew Scott? I don't know. 
right. Talented Mr. Ripley is a wonderful movie. Eh. I'm lukewarm. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm eh. All right. Mark Wahlberg and Halle Berry in the Union. A constru- <laughs> that sounds like a straight to DVD movie right there. <laughs> Say no more. A, constru- a construction worker from Jersey is quickly thrust into the world of espionage when his high school, I don't even, I'm in, I'm so in, when his high school ex recruits him on a high stakes mission. All right, I'm obviously in for that. That's the one where the audience rating versus the critic rating is going to be the widest gap in history. Yeah. Okay, J-Lo is Atlas. A brilliant data analyst with a deep distrust of artificial intelligence joins a mission to capture a renegade robot with whom she shares a mysterious past. I'm in, of course. Okay, I had a take about my recommendations about Movie stars who have jobs that do not, like, you could never see the look of that person doing that. I'm sorry. J-Lo is a brilliant data analyst. Come on. Huh? No. I already told you. Hey, thank you. Uh, J-Lo is too, well, I'm sorry. Barry distracted me. What were you saying about J-Lo? I got to take. Just keep going. All right. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, obviously, right? No. You're not going to watch it? He ruined, I didn't, I never watched Coming to America 2. You Excuse can't me, remake I'm something not, this, Top we're Gun not Maverick saying is the only one they can do that with. We're not saying, I'm not saying that this is going to be good, but are you going to watch it? I don't know. I don't like how they remake classics like this. I don't like it. Is that Owen Wilson? Looks like him. You're not going to watch this? You really are watched, a Midwestern I didn't grump. watch Coming to America 2. Well, that was, that's a good decision. Okay, lastly, I oh know we're almost done. Uh, the new poster for Damsel starring Mo- Millie Bobby Brown, Angela Bassett, Robin Wright, and Nick Robinson. Uh, this is not a fairy tale. That's the headline. I don't know what this is, but I'm in for it. And then uh, Cameron Diaz and Jamie Foxx starring Back in Action. Years after giving up life in the CIA to start a family, these former spies are dragged back into the world of espionage. A lot of espionage. Of course, I'm in. Are you in for this? It's probably going to be bad. Not going to lie. Okay, and then lastly, Squid Squid Game season two. All right, I mean that's a that, slate, obviously. and we haven't even discussed uh, be, uh, uh, Ben Affleck's directing a movie with Matt Damon called Animals. Okay, so hopefully, right. I'm hopeful Netflix is going to be saving the movie industry. I, that's what I that was I said before. Ben, you have uh, something you want to discuss? Oh, watching another parent freak out on their child is both horrifying, and I feel like I, I like I feel you. So I was I'm coaching my son's basketball team now and we had pictures on Saturday and it's kind of hectic because you have to get there half hour before the game to take pictures and you're trying to round up all these kids to get their picture taken and it's it's kind of a big mess and then still play the game so we were waiting on line and the team behind us this mom I mean we're talking second grade boys the mom just lights into her kid about I can't believe you did this you've been ruining the morning and just screaming at him and Everyone else, everyone else is kind of like, geez, lady. But it's one of those yeah. things where, like, I know where she, I know where she, I know how she got to that point. It yeah. was a you, series it, of things that happened, but it's very awkward to watch another parent uh, discipline their child in public. It's very you're, uncomfortable. You're in a no-win situation. Yeah, yeah. But but this lady lost, totally lost it. And uh, even my kids, like, geez. Everyone has has their line of how much they can take. Yes, I totally I, get I've, where she's coming from. I've never done that in public, but I wouldn't. I'm not saying I. I'm not saying it's impossible. I hope I never do, but yes. All I'm saying is, Kobe, if you're it, listening, you Kobe, if you're listening, don't push me. Yes, don't push me. Um, all right, uh, Michael Beschloss tweeted this photo of President Abraham Lincoln today, 1865 at age 55. Now listen, he had been through some <laughs> shit, obviously, yes. but I mean, if you just want to look, uh, use a picture for the progress that we've made over the century, decades, and 
last 150 years, more. I mean, he looks like he's 95. My take on Lincoln is that he does not look like a real human being in his pictures. He looks like a movie character. Someone you'd create in a movie, somehow, he doesn't look like a real person. Credit to him, look sense. at that head of hair. The hair looks like a 40-year-old, and his face looks like a 90-year-old. Honestly, it was a good-looking guy. Um, all right, Ben, what do you got? All right, we watched episode one of Masters of the Air, or Masters of Air, whatever it's called, on Apple. I'm in. And? I'm in. It's not going to be as good as Band of Brothers or the Pacific, which I, I absolutely love, but it's going to be good. That's where I'm, that's where I'm at. Uh, okay, so here's my take from earlier on J-Lo. I caught mm. the movie Chasing Amy, a Ben Affleck, Affleck 1991. Classic. It, it would never get made in a million years today, but it's sort of a time capsule of the 1990s. So Ben, ben Affleck and uh, what's the other guy's name? Jason Lee are comic book creators. I cannot buy Ben Affleck as a comic book creator. Like, he's creating... A, it just doesn't make any sense. And I feel like this is the kind of thing that happens in movies. Like, remember in War of the Worlds where Tom Cruise is moving those big crates and Adam Sandler is always, like, a dentist or something? That's how... It, Jennifer Lawrence was, like, a down-on-her-luck bartender in her new movie. Sometimes it's hard for me to... <laughs> That's a good movie. Right? When, like, a really good person or, like, they're, they're either... The job is way too high-level for them or they're way too good looking to do this job. That's one of the things that always gets me with movies. It's like, this person would never have that job. One other thing. Affleck had a goatee in the movie. Okay, like, and not just like a, a fancy goatee like some people have today, but like just the little, you know, what's this triangle thing called? That's called the, uh, the douche patch. I don't know, what's Whatever. it called? A soul patch? Soul patch, there you go. Not like a fancy one. It was like the thick 1990s goatee, which was a total 90s thing. And I'm wondering mustaches have made a comeback. Like, at first, people were doing it ironically and just in Brooklyn, and now people do it everywhere. Like, a mustache is a real thing. Do you think goatees will ever make a comeback? I feel like that's a total 1990s. I'm sure there's some people with goatees still, but it's a very 90s thing. Well, people, people rock goatees in November. They get their kick. Okay. But, but it was a total 90s move to have a goatee, like a very Listen, thick ev goatee. Everything, everything makes a comeback. Okay. That's all I got. Okay, so Rob and I are watching True Detective... And after episode one, I'm like, I'm in. Uh, after episode three, you were like, eh. And after episode four, what the fuck? I mean, they are really asking a lot of the audience to stick with them because it's boring and really nothing is happening. And I would have been out, except I found out that it's only six episodes. So now, I mean, I'll, wow. I mean I'm, I'm in for another two hours, but it, it's not good. And I don't it's even think that they can make it good. Do, are you watching it? Yeah, it's just okay. It's not... I don't think it's bad, but it's, it's okay. Did you see the fourth episode? We're halfway through it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's bad. It's just not good. No, it's not great. They, I think they just could not recreate the magic of the first season. The third, okay. the, the one with Mahershala Ali when Stephen Dorff was pretty, is okay, but this one uh -huh. is just, yeah. Um, all right, so I, uh, I binge-watched um, Band of Brothers this week. Oh, really? Okay, and? I, I watched, I have one episode left. So that movie came out, do you remember when it came out? I was in college, I think. It premiered two days before 9-11. Oh, really? Yeah, I was in college. I remember watching it. All my college friends would get together every Sunday night to watch it. Yeah, so September 9th was the premiere episode. And it, it's an extension. I mean, it's Saving Private Ryan, right? It's, it remains. I read the book, too. The, the book, it remains my favorite book of all time. The Band of Brothers Favorite book, book of all time. Wow. I, I so it. I, it, it's, it's, inc it's, it's incredible. Uh, 
And I don't, how did they make it? I mean, I'm just watching this thing from 20 plus years ago. How the hell, so Hanks and Spielberg produced it. It feels so real. All right. If you're really into it, watch The Pacific next. I thought The Pacific was just- Well, that's why I'm doing it. Because I, I did want to watch uh, whatever the Apple one is. So I now I have to watch this and then Pacific is up next. But yeah, I'm, I'm 20, 23 years behind, but- I think it's on Netflix excellent. now too. It's amazing. Oh, is it? Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Very good. Not a fun okay. watch. Not a fun watch by any means, obviously, but uh, but a good watch. Okay. Uh, all right. We went long. Sorry about that. Hey, everybody. All right. Animal Spirits Pod. Nope. nope. I'm sorry. Animal Spirits. Nope. I apologize. Animal Spirits at the compoundnews.com. Thank you for listening. Duncan, thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>